Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. This um, presentation that I'm going to give today is about World War II. Hold on. Christmas during World War II and post-World War II. Really? There we go. So there's a number of topics that um, don't readily come to mind when you think about Christmas during World War II and just after. The thing that's going to be interesting today is that many of the traditions that we have today came out of this time period. And we'll just talk about those, but we'll really talk about um, the effect that the, that the wartime had on our um, present um, circumstances and how it affected people during this time. So there was the military. This is during World War II, and we're going to talk about both during World War II and after World War II. Um, post-war. So there was the military, there were loved ones at home, there was the first Christmas after the war which was really really affected a lot of people, especially a lot of the soldiers coming home, their first Christmas after the war, and post-war Christmases. And when you think about post-war Christmases, the thing that's going to strike you the most is that how many of you have seen the movie The Christmas Story? The Red Rider BB Gun? Many of those traditions are post-World War II Christmas traditions. And we'll talk about those. Yay, it worked. So during the war, the military, there were USO shows. And let, you know, in many of the old movies, they show these people giving shows at Christmas time, and it was a big deal. Well, yes, it was a big deal, but it wasn't, you know, um, all pervasive. You know, a few people enjoyed these shows. Most Christmases during the war were celebrated by soldiers in foxholes alone or with a few friends. Can you hear me now? Hello, hello. Okay. So, many of the um, soldiers are celebrated on both sides. Celebrated alone or with a few friends with military meals. They're not very appetizing. How many folks have been in military? Me and Pastor Floyd. Meals ready to eat, not awesome. Just saying. All right. And um, in order to get presents to military members, people had to start shopping in September, August, you know, October, that time frame. Because it took so long to ship them out. Huh. When does the Christmas shopping season start now? Huh, wonder why. So these early gifts 
you know, were essential, and mostly they were like small fruit baskets or um, just small things because of the shipping time and the cost. So if a soldier got something during Christmas, it was a big deal. You know, in this age of, you know, what's under the tree, and it's generally a lot, you know, these people were very happy to get one small gift, one small orange. It was a very big deal. And it wasn't about poverty as much as it was about as far away from home as they were and the shipping and how involved it was. All right? So Christmases were often lonely. Now at home, the Christmas shopping season, the vendors started early because of the time it took to get presents overseas. That, that early shopping thing became such a big deal that now vendors make or break the retail year based on Christmas sales. You know, many of us complain that the Christmas shopping season starts too early. It came out of World War II. That was the whole point. The reason was sound then. And just after the war, many people complained, you know, Christmases are too commercial. The commercialization argument against Christmas came about just after World War II because the vendors didn't want to give up that shopping season so they put up lights and decorations very early. It just continues. Continues to this day. While it seems like it's getting earlier and earlier every year, it's not. It's about the same time. The big thing during World War II that most of us have heard of but have never been affected by is rationing. So it was very um, essential that people ration gas. They got little tickets to buy so much gas for the week or for the month. That was it. When it was gone, it was gone. They got so many tickets to buy sugar. You know, as you might guess, sugar is important during Christmas season for, oh, I don't know, cookies. <laughs> but, you know, there's more fruit because there is less sugar. Because meat was rationed. Meals were um, more limited. It wasn't as big of a feast. Many families saved the ration tickets so they could have the big Christmas meal, a big Thanksgiving meal. You know, imagine, if you will, going to the grocery store and only being able to buy one pound of beef, ground beef, you know, roast, just one for the month. And that's what rationing was about. All right. The first Christmases at home for the soldiers, for the most part, were depressing. They didn't really know how to act. They had just been at war, and we've heard this. You know, people come back from... Um, goodness, Afghanistan, you know, Iraq, and it's hard for them to assimilate back into culture, but that, that thing has been happening 
every time there's a war, it happens. All the way back to the Revolutionary War. Because as a soldier, you, know, you have to act one way. And that kind of behavior is not appropriate in civilization. So it's a big adjustment. So the first Christmases after the war really affected many of the soldiers. It wasn't what they expected. They were very depressed for the most part. Whole set of articles on the internet be which makes it right about this phenomenon. You know, many historical journals. The thing about Christmas is during the war and just after was this huge commercial push. What's missing? Just after the war, there was this big push by consumer groups. We want Christmas to be less commercialized. That's the first time that conversation ever came about because the lengthened shopping season. We don't want Christmas to be about things, you know? I heard, um, I watched Duck Dynasty Christmas special, and Jay said Christmas is about faith, family, and facial hair. So, um, but the reality is, is that from these post-World War II Christmas traditions, you know, putting up decorations earlier, buying Christmas presents earlier, the Christmas story, which was made in the late 50s, early 60s. You know, many of the things you see in that movie came out of the post-World War II traditions. Parades. Because people were happy to be home. It was a big deal. It was a really big deal. Communities decorated storefronts. You know, Christmas... That whole lights, that whole, you know, um, public, more public Christmas events came out of post-World War II because the families were happy to have the soldiers home and were celebrating. It was a really big deal, right? There were a lot more outdoor lights. In fact, today, there are still communities where your electric bill will be paid and people put up Christmas lights. There, there are some small towns that do it. It's a really big deal. Again, came in, came out of that post-World War II Christmas tradition set. You know what Christmas is really about? In your Bibles, on page 726, I'll put it in there, but I guess it didn't make it. Um, Luke 2, 1 through 20. And this is the same Christmas story that Linus reads to Charlie, you know, the Charlie Brown Christmas special. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken on the entire Roman world. Now, people were directed to go back to the um, towns of their family registration. 
you know, at that time is a big deal. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. That's very important, that whole um, governor of Syria thing, because he can be placed in history at about 6 B.C. in that range. So there's a very factual time and place and um, person and political office that was going on. Everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. This is very, very important. The reason is, is that Jesus, the Messiah, was uh, what had the credentials to be the king of Israel. One of those, he had to be the house and of the lineage of David. In Matthew, you can trace Jesus' lineage all the way back to Adam. I think in Luke, it talks about Mary's family. Now, Jesus had to fulfill two key categories, the house and lineage. Inheritance came to the house. This was important because you inherited based on your house. And the lineage was your direct descendancy. You could trace your line person to person back. Now, if you were adopted into a family, Jesus was adopted into Joseph's family, making him of the house of David. And because Mary was directly descended, he could trace his direct descendants back to David. So he's of both the house and lineage of David which meant that he could sit on the throne of Israel. All of the prophecies about Jesus to the Jews meant that he was going to be the king. We as Christians, Gentiles, we're not Jewish, acknowledge him as the king but we don't really understand the, the reasoning and the, um, the requirements, the legal requirements to make him that king. Very important to the Jews. Very important. All right. So he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were terrified. You know... We have these icons of 18th century feminine angels. 
Every time in the Bible where humans were confronted by angels, they were terrified. I don't think these angels looked like the little feminine sissy angels that are painted in our icons. I think they're much more like Navy SEALs. You know, because everybody was terrified of them. Almost the first thing that angels said to humans, don't be afraid. But the angels said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You have to realize that the Jews have been looking for the Messiah for a long time. What they were expecting was a king to overthrow the Roman government. They didn't understand that he had to suffer and die for us. Theologians say the Jews were looking um, over two mountains, not seeing the middle valley and just seeing the end. When he is going to come back and be the king and of his um, throne there be no end. But they didn't see the part we had to come and suffer and die for us. It was there. If you can um, talk to a Jewish person and lead them through Isaiah 52 and 53, many of them will come to a point of decision about Jesus. They may not believe in him, but they will acknowledge that he is or is not the Messiah. There is no ambiguity. He had to come and suffer and die for us. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth and peace to those on whom his favor rests. I like the King James Version a little better. Just more poetic. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go see this thing. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen them, they had spread the word concerning what they had been told. What had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. You know, um, a family member sent us a Christmas card just recently. Has three mothers riding the family donkey into Jerusalem. And they have bumper stickers on them. And the first bumper sticker says... My son is on the honor roll. The second bumper sticker says, My son is in medical school. And the third one said, My son is God. Can't beat that. All right. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. 
I love that version of the Christmas story. That's the one I, I read to my family almost every year. It's a big deal. You know, I told you previously about eight prophecies that Jesus couldn't control about his coming. You know, where he's born, who is um, who he's descended from, those kinds of things. But in total, there are 351 prophecies in the Old Testament about him. Somebody in MIT did a study, and all 351 of these prophecies are some ignorant number to one. 10 to the, I think, 18, or you know, some really rude number. But these were made about a thousand years before Christ was born. Now, verifiably, at least 250 years. Why do I say that? Because there is a copy of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, which is a, acknowledged to be um, an older Greek copy of the Old Testament that was in place minimum of 250 years before Christ. Very well documented. All right, so what I want you to do now is write down some very specific things about somebody that's going to be born 250 years from now. Tell me where he's going to be born, who he's going to be descended from, how he's going to die. Don't try this at home. All right? One of the things that you know that Jesus is God is because of the prophecies, the things that were told about him. Why did he come? What was the whole point? You know, we celebrate Christmas on December 25th. Really? And it's probably not the most accurate date. Scientists think the star appears sometime in April. Okay, doesn't matter. Early Christians um, replaced some of the pagan holidays with Christian ones, so that's how Christmas came to be. We replaced the um, celebration of the summer, of the winter solstice, Druid and pagan holidays in England, with Christmas. Okay, not really important. What is important? is that he was born of a virgin and came as God taking on human flesh. The whole point of Jesus coming was to be a sacrifice for us. See, in Jewish tradition, if you did this thing wrong, you sacrificed this animal. If you did this thing wrong, you sacrificed that animal. And the Old Testament says, there is no covering of sin without shedding of blood. Jesus came to shed his blood to be the Lamb of God, to be a covering for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And all we have to do is accept this gift. 
You know, I tell you over and over, you know, all you have to do is believe. But believe is not a passive, oh yeah, I believe, thing. Belief is an action word. Your belief will cause some effect in your life. Whether it's telling others, whether it changes your behavior. You know, I've told you before, if I gave you a brand new car, I said, how about keys? He said, it's just outside the door. If you believe me, you take the keys, go out of the door, see what color it was. Look in the glove box for the registration. Belief is an action word. You know, you also have to confess. Tell others that Jesus is God and he's risen from the dead. That risen from the dead thing is so important. No one in history besides those affected by God have ever come back to life. Muhammad, still in his tomb. Buddha, still in his tomb. Paul said, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then we, as Christians, are the most miserable of all people. We should eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. The Bible says it's the infallible, true word of God. It either is or it isn't. I'll go one step further. The Bible is either true or it's the worst lie ever put upon humanity. Because it says it's the way to heaven. You can trust it for your eternal life. It's not true. It's really bad. Because it's leading you down a bad pathway. But all of the evidence that's out there indicates that it's true. You know, I'm always amused by skeptics who say, isn't it full of contradictions? No. Defy you to find one. Well, miracles don't happen. Absolutely, they do. Well, they don't happen today. Absolutely, they still do. You know, I tell people in my life that I've seen little miracles. You know? Things that have changed my view of the world forever. When I got saved, I was in juvenile detention center, and I was reading this book by, the, by a guy by the name of Gene Neal. And he said that he felt a God's presence, he felt a presence in the cell, and that presence filled him. It's like he had a God-sized hole in his heart. And when I read this, I'm an avid reader. I can't tell you how much I like to read. And so I was reading this book, and I, I prayed. I said, God, I don't think you exist. But if you do, tomorrow morning, I won't want a cigarette. Now, that's significant because I was a two-and-a-half-pack 
a day smoker. I had tried everything to quit. I got to be honest with you. I thought I'm done with this, God, because I prayed. There's no way you can answer this prayer. Can't possibly do it. The next morning, it was 11.30 in the morning. I was on my way to lunch, and I realized I hadn't had a cigarette and didn't want one. Click. It blew me away. It changed my world forever. Wow. There is a God. Not only that, He cares about me. That was awesome. That was years ago. My wife would say it was less than 25, but 37 years ago. And it changed everything. You know, without Jesus, I'd be dead or in prison. No kidding. Now, I didn't have many consequences because I was a juvenile, so my record was expunged and sealed. So, you know, if an employer did a search, they wouldn't find anything. I'm telling you because I was a really bad kid. And it changed everything about me. Have you asked him into your life? Has it become important to you? And if you have asked him into your life, have you told anyone else? There's a little video that's going to play now. You know, sometimes as we're going about our day-to-day, especially during the Christmas season, we just totally forget the reason for the season. And even though we, we tell people the reason for the season is Jesus, the reason for the season is Jesus, sometimes, even as Christians, we can forget why Jesus came. And as we've been doing this series, um, last week when we talked about uh, the book, that movie, TV show, and everything else they made out of it, A Christmas Carol. Afterwards, uh, we sang the song Away in a Manger because it was one of the songs that was made popular during that era. And as we continued the series, um, next week, actually, we're going to focus on a totally different era uh, called I Love the 80s, Christmas in the 80s. Some of you may not have been around in the 80s. Some of you may be ashamed of what you did in the 80s. That would be me. Uh, But we're going to focus on, because each season and each era, there was something just crazy or magical or wonderful that happened that kind of focused people back on the reason for Christmas. And as uh, Stephen was talking about, during World War II, everyone was separated from their family. So immediately following World War II, and some of you guys may remember this. I'm not going to point people out because I don't want to get yelled at. But some of you guys may remember this, that there were Christmas songs that came up that focused on tradition and family and just spending time with one another again because they had spent so much time separated from their loved ones. So I'm going to ask the band to come up, and as they do, uh, we're going to sing a Christmas song. Now, here's the deal. This is not a Christmas hymn. It's not 
pushing or, or talking about Jesus. It's just talking about Christmas as a time for spending time with family and loved ones and just re-immersing yourself in those Christmas traditions. So we're going to do this in a little different way. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And if you have family or friends near you, I'm going to, in a moment, ask you to just grab their hand as we sing this song. Now, if you're in the back by yourself, go sit next to to, to someone. And if you're kind of worried about that, there's hand gel in the back so you can cleanse yourself. But uh, just as we get ready to sing this, um, just it's a Christmas song. It's emphasizing family. It's emphasizing tradition. And it's probably one that you guys have been singing since Black Friday yourself. God, our hope is that we don't let the hurryness and the busyness of Christmas take away from the opportunity to spend time with family, to spend time with friends, to, as Stephen said, to, to share with our loved ones and family and friends the purpose of your coming, that you might be born as a baby to grow and live your life and to be a living sacrifice, pay the penalty for all our sins so that there is nothing that separates us from you and your love. God, we pray that every one of us just has that passion in our heart to find a day, a moment, an hour, a lunch or dinner, whatever it is, where we can just love on our family, where we can let them know how precious they are, and where we can do what you did. As you showed your love to us, we can show our love to them. God, we thank you and pray that you would just bless us as we go. And we pray that we would all just have a very Merry Christmas. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Pray that all you guys have a very Merry Christmas. Um, Enjoy your Sunday and God bless.